What were Jesus's last words? Go out into the whole world and make disciples. This Catholic podcast will help you respond to that call and invitation from our Lord. Together, we'll learn from leaders in the new evangelization, those out there on the front lines witnessing to God's love, and discuss tips that you can implement today. So what are you waiting for? Go make disciples. Well, folks, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We have a great guest with us today. Brandon Vaught is joining us. And if you have never heard of Brandon, I'd like to introduce him a little bit. His list of accolades is long, uh, but one thing that you should know about him is that he is one of the leaders, one of the millennial leaders for sure, in helping the church enter the digital age and uh, embrace the new evangelization, especially in parts where the gospel is just not proclaimed, the internet as much as anywhere. And uh, he, this all started probably about 10 years ago. You wrote a book called The New Media, Blogging Converts, Online Activists, and Bishops Who Tweet. And that was the first of 10 books you've written. So it looks like you have a pace of one book a year. Uh, good job. You've kept <laughs> up with that. Um, and in addition to that, Brandon has created and runs three different websites that are all successful in their own, own right, your own brandonvot.com. Uh, Strange Notions, which is the the most visited Catholic site in the the history of the universe by atheists, if I if I understand correctly, and um, then uh, Claritas U, which is a online formation program for Catholics who want to learn more about, or anybody who wants to learn more about their faith and be be able to spread the good news even more. And you currently work right now with Bishop Barron as the contact, content director at Word on Fire. You co-host the podcast with him. And he's got an amazing team out there that is really taking the gospel to the religiously unaffiliated and, and digital nomads and doing some of the most critical work in the church today. So uh, we are very grateful to you, Brandon, for giving us some of your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's my utter delight, guys. Um, as you both know, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you guys do, especially your new book, Go Make Disciples. Um, I'm, I have much esteem for both of you, so I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. That means a lot. And uh, one of the, the things that Brandon has coming out is a new book called What to Say and How to Say It, Volume 2. And I have already gotten into that a little bit and love it. So we'll talk about that today. Um, but Brandon, about eight years ago, Focus started making a list of 30 under 30. And they had you as one of that 30 under 30. And they said, <laughs> if they had a vote, they would elect you as the commissioner for the new media. And uh, <laughs> just just a few years earlier, you were a mechanical engineering student who wasn't Catholic. So how did you go from being not Catholic and uh, probably, oh, it sounds like from your bio a little bit, being marginally uh, Christian or marginally active mm -hmm. in your faith to now being on this 30 under 30 list? It's a good question. Uh, yeah, I haven't. I forgot until you brought it up that 30 under 30 thing i tend not to mention anymore because now i'm 34 so I feel like I'm, dis <laughs> I'm disqualified it's <laughs> i'm no longer under 30 um but yeah so i was raised in a protestant church my family went to uh sunday service every weekend i was involved in the youth group it was a presbyterian church um but like many young people it was it was pretty nominal you know i would say i had good morals i was a nice person i believed in god i liked jesus but you know, the extent of it didn't extend beyond Sunday mornings. Uh, it was just one dimension of my life among uh, many others. So when I went off to college, my wife and I, uh, we met in high school, we dated, we fell in love, and we decided to go off to uh, Florida State University together. She was an ardent Catholic. She was born and raised Catholic. Her faith was very meaningful to her. Again, I was kind of just floating along, I would say. When we went off to college, um, I decided that at least to appease my mother, I would 
go to church on Sundays. I would find a church, at least put in my one hour a week on Sundays, and that would be it. At least it would make mom happy. And so this is how lazy I was. I The first Sunday, I, I rolled out of my bed in my dorm room, and I just started walking down the sidewalk and decided I would just go to the first church that I passed because I had no idea. I was a Presbyterian, I guess, but I really didn't know what that meant. I didn't, at the time, know John Knox or any Presbyterian doctrines. I didn't know what distinguished churches from one another. So I thought, well, I'll just end up wherever I end up. And so I ended up at a Methodist church. It was the first one closest to my dorm. Started going there on Sundays. Um, and for about three years, kind of just floated along. I would show up on Sundays. Um, lots of the other young, fervent college students would try to invite me to get more involved. Hey, come to this Bible study. Come to this, you know, we're going out to lunch. We're playing sports. You know, come on, come on, come on. And I would always make up excuses. I would always turn them down. I was, as you say, studying. Uh, I started off studying physics. I ended up uh, majoring in mechanical engineering. So a pretty demanding course load, you know, and then I just wanted to do what I wanted to do on the on Sundays. I didn't want to be involved with this church. But eventually they wore me down. Uh, right before my senior year, I decided to come to lunch with them. That was kind of the first step. And you know, being around all these young Christian guys, I realized, hey, these guys are are really cool. They're really, you know, fun to hang out with. They're interested in some of the same things I am. So I started going out to lunch with them after the church services. And then they got me playing sports with them. They had intramural basketball and football teams. And then finally, they're like, hey, why don't you, you know, all of the of us same guys, we get together once a week for this Bible study. Why don't you come join us? And I said, oh, okay, I'll check it out. So started going to that. And that was like an illuminating, life-changing light bulb moment going off in my head because it was the first time that I, I sat down and, and personally read the scriptures for myself. And I was, it was like meeting a new person, reading Jesus in the Gospels myself for the first time. Uh, I don't know, you know, I, I guess growing up as a kid, I knew all the stories about Jesus, but I never actually sat down and read the Gospels myself. Meeting Jesus was, he was entrancing and enchanting and disturbing and strange. And I fell in love with it. So I, I just started absorbing the scriptures, reading the rest of the New Testament, then turned back to the Old Testament, started reading that. Um, through this Bible study, you know, they started teaching me how to pray, different ways to pray, um, different ways to worship, um, building this thick community with other Christian young men. So all of that really drew me into the life of the, of the faith. And I was so on fire. I, I committed my my whole life to Christ. I said, Lord, I, I want to live for you. I love you. I want to give everything I have and do to you um, to the point where after just, I don't know, six months, nine months, I, I was seriously thinking about making a major shift and maybe entering the seminary, the wow. Methodist seminary. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that was like legitimately on my radar. But then around this same time, so this is maybe like my junior year, senior year. Um, uh, Kathleen, my, my now wife and I, we were looking forward to the horizon of graduating and we both knew we were going to marry each other. It was only uh, a formality at that point. And so, but we started thinking, well, what are we going to do with religion? Because she's an ardent Catholic. She loves going to mass. You know, I'm drifting now down this Methodist path. What are we going to do? And it made me realize for the first time, I'd never really looked into Catholicism. I didn't know anything about it. I'd gone to mass with her maybe a couple times, but found it really strange and off-putting, certainly much different than the praise and worship services I was used to in college. Um, but I thought, you know what? I love her. And out of devotion to her, I'm going to at least look into it, see if I can learn something about it. So 
Um, I won't get into all the details of that journey, but suffice it to say, after several months of reading and debating and studying and interacting with other Catholics, um, I became convinced that the Catholic Church was the church that Jesus Christ established. Um, the, the major pillars for me were, number one, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Once I became convinced that Christ is really, truly present, body and blood in the Eucharist, I thought, like many people, where else would I go? You know, it's the Peter answer. To whom else would I go? I, yeah, I got to yeah. be there if he's there. Um, and then the authority of the church. I realized that with Protestantism, there is no ultimate authority to adjudicate differences regarding the Bible or the sacraments or worship or doctrine. There needs to be some way to authoritatively settle these disputes. And I, I came to see, well, that's why Jesus established the church in part was to help resolve some of those tensions. Um, so I decided to become Catholic. I entered RCIA. Um, the last month we were there in Tallahassee, we graduated. I entered the Catholic Church. Uh, we moved to Orlando and started a new job. We got married. Uh, we got pregnant a month later. So it's like every major life change within, <laughs> within about a month or two. Um, and then from there, it was just, you know, now I'm Catholic. I love my my new Catholic faith, and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by all these things I'm finding. I was a young millennial at the time. I was in uh, Facebook. I was in Facebook. I was in college when Facebook came out. And so I was kind of an early adopter on Facebook. At the time, it was only open to college students when they first started. So I was on Facebook. I was on YouTube. I'd started a blog. I was using a lot of these new media tools. But after becoming Catholic, I realized, oh my goodness, we're so far behind the curve. It's unbelievable. Like coming from the evangelical world, a lot of evangelical churches where we're already, you know, building amazing websites, you know, apps, social media, web initiatives. Catholic Church was dragging its feet, you know, screaming and kicking. So I thought we got to do something about this. So I started, you know, blogging about that topic. I started giving talks here and there about it. And then eventually uh, that morphed into this book, The Church and New Media, which had contributions from a lot of different people. It was a, a multi-contributor book. Uh, looking at how the church can use podcasts, websites, social media, YouTube, et cetera. And uh, that book exploded in popularity. That was like a sea change moment, I think, in the church when a lot of priests, lay people, even bishops realized, okay, we got to take this seriously and we got to start using it. So I think that's what got me onto the 30 under 30 list under yeah, which I, I can no longer qualify. <laughs> well, it was at one point. So if they come up with a 40 under 40, we'll keep a lookout and see. <laughs> well, Brandon, I think maybe. Helping, us, helping the church catch up because I, I, you know, we are oftentimes behind the curve. And I think about even youth ministry, it felt like we were so behind the curve. But that's something I like to say is that when the church catches up, we do things really well. So I thank you also for bringing us into the forefront and all the great resources and tools you've helped develop to make uh, what we do really top of the line, a lot of the resources and things that are out there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I agree with you. I think the Catholic Church is like this massive giant. You know, we've got, what is it, two, three billion people around the world, so many institutional resources. When we set our mind to something, we can do amazing things. But getting that that giant ship to shift directions is hard. But once it's in the right direction, that's going to sail fast and with fury. Yeah, yeah. We're like the the big aircraft carriers. Like, I don't know what the biggest class is, the Reagan class, maybe, but we're like one of those. Um, yes, yes. So thinking of, of the new media, staying on this topic, um, what are some things that you're, you have seen that people should really lean into? So almost kind of like a set of uh, new media beatitudes, like blessed are you if, mm. if you do this. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
One thing I've been I've been harping on for the last few years is that these new media tools give the church an evangelistic opportunity we've never had, which is to be in direct contact with people who have left the church. Um, it's a perennial problem. It's not something new, people leaving the church. That's always been the case. The difficulty in past decades is that once they leave, how do you reconnect with them? How do you find them? Where do they go? What do they do? Uh, in the digital age, we know the answer. You know, they're on YouTube, they're on Facebook, they're on Snapchat, they're on TikTok, they're on all these social media tools. It's where young people spend most of their days. Um, so I, I consider it to be a, a gift from God, this opportunity that we can connect directly to them. With that in mind, though, I would say blessed are they who use the new media to specifically reach out and speak to those people. I think uh, a temptation for a lot of Catholics online is to, to adopt these new tools to speak to the same people that we always speak to, you know, to use um, uh, commonly cited numbers, about 7% of people in any given parish do 80 to 90% of the activity. You know, the same 7% show up for mass all the time. They're involved with the ministries, you know, they're, they're tithing, they're donating, they're involved. And concomitantly, most of what we do is aimed at that 7%. I know that's what uh, your guy's new book, Go Making Disciple, Go Make Disciples, is aimed to help change. That we can't just keep feeding the existing flock. We need to go out and find the lost sheep. That's what we need to do with new media. If if all that we create, like videos and podcasts and websites, is just aimed at the seven percent, we're just going to be treading water. What we need to do is figure out how can we get into the world of the ninety-three percent. How can we speak their language? How can we bring the gospel in new forms into that world? Um, that's basically what we've been trying to do at Word on Fire. And I think that's where the potential for using the new media for evangelization is is highest. I, I agree. I really, I'm so happy to hear you say that because as I've looked, I, I tried to, to venture a little bit into Instagram recently and, and find out, okay, how can this tool be used? Because it's good. And one of the first things I noticed was that most of the Catholics on there are just talking to other Catholics. And it's almost like everybody wants to be the the boss and they want they all want to say like do this do this do this nobody wants to like actually wade out there into that 93 percent and and do things differently and that's where it gets scary like that's where you're going to have the 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 messy conversations and i remember the first video i posted where i, I ta started tagging like atheist and skeptic and agnostic somebody came along and left like a profanity laced comment on on the the post and it was like wow, people do that? I, like, I thought this was going to be nice and friendly. And then I realized like, no, it's not. It's going to be messy. And if I if I want to play this game, then I've got to be willing to deal with that. And I remember the words of Bishop Barron are echoing in my mind when he did the Reddit AMA. And he said, you need waiters to to go out there because <laughs> it's not a nice place. But um, I mean, Athens wasn't nice. And, and St. Paul went there and, and entered the Agora. And um, I mean, look at the, the we that that conversation is still recorded. That was so impactful. Yeah, that's always been my model for this new media work is that Acts 17 Areopagus conversation because the parallels are so clear and obvious, I think. Paul goes into this foreign territory. It says he goes to the hill in Athens and there was a bunch of philosophers discussing new things. And I always like that line because it's that's the internet, right? <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like oh, <laughs> people sit around, discuss new things. You know, what's new? What's going on? What have you been doing? What's an update, right? Um, so discussing new things. Paul goes in and look at his method. He doesn't go in condemning them. He doesn't go in proclaiming the gospel in its fullness immediately. He begins by recognizing these 
seeds of the word to use the church father's language. He, he quotes their own poets. He notes their religiosity. Um, and he, he uses those as springboards to proclaiming the gospel. I think that's the exact right strategy online, you know, and I, I, to, to risk, uh, to risk uh, complimenting him too many times on this episode, Bishop Barron, I think, models this better than anybody, especially with his film reviews. Like when he does these YouTube yeah, commentaries yeah. on new movies, he'll find a movie that everyone's talking about. They're discussing new things. And then he shows the deeper spiritual and philosophical dimensions of that film. And by far, we've gotten the best response at Word on Fire from those kinds of things, from atheists, agnostics, former Catholics, Protestants. Uh, many of them will say things like, you know, when I turn when I when this video popped up on YouTube, I wasn't even looking for it, just kind of popped up as a recommended video. And I saw your Roman collar. I just wanted to close it immediately. I thought, what could a Catholic priest possibly have to say that's interesting about, you know, Batman or the latest Marvel movie? But then I started watching it. And I found what you had to say really, really intriguing. And I decided to start watching more of your videos. And now I'm reading your articles. And and there's usually like some long trajectory where some of them even end up coming into the church because of that. But it's because he followed the Areopagus pattern um, of looking into the culture, finding the seeds of the word, uh, speaking to people in their language, quoting their poets, and then proclaiming the gospel through that lens. I think that's that's the pattern for success in the digital world. That's that's good marching orders for anybody listening who's kind of wondering like how can I get started? There you go. Like go out start engaging the world. And you know, we don't not all of us are going to have the education that Bishop Barron has, but all of us are going to love something in the world so much that we can talk about it. So like one of the, some of the things that I started talking about were the few like literary figures that I know well. So I would make little videos about the Jesuit poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, because I like him. Mm -hmm. And and like non-Catholics who just like Gerard Manley Hopkins would engage with me. And I thought, okay, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, yeah, yeah. I've seen that with, um, we do a lot with Tolkien. Talk of, Tolkien we found is like the perfect crossover because there's millions of non-religious Tolkien fans, right? Yeah, yeah. But Tolkien's this devout Catholic whose work is infused with Catholicism. So that's been a great crossover. We also have people at Word on Fire really passionate about video games. And so we've been doing articles and videos and podcasts about the, the deeper underlying moral themes or spiritual themes in some of the most popular video games. And again, you have tens or hundreds of millions of video game players yeah. who would never yeah. step into a church, but this might be a way in for them. Yeah. So do you think we're going to see a Word on Fire esports team anytime soon? <laughs> maybe we we talked about trying to get bishop baron on twitch like playing a game and doing live commentary but it would be like atari or some older kid because oh, he's yeah, not a big yeah. gamer yeah there's got to be something retro um yeah well justin it looked like you were you were about to say something yeah you know it's just the old concept of finding a common ground it sounds like you know and i think mm -hmm. for for catholics uh, if we really want to go after the lost sheep we have to talk about things that are important to them uh do things that are important to them um, yeah, you know, and I think that uh, it's a great I, I hope a lot of folks listening to think about their social media usage, because I know we all have a love hate relationship with social media. I know I've gone through that and I've prayed about that and discerned it. But God keeps bringing me back. And sometimes I'm like, I'm canceling my Facebook and I'll and I'll push the cancel button. But it gives you that wait period because they know you might come uh -huh. back. And I uncancel uh -huh. because I know that God <laughs> wants me out there. I may not be perfect all the time, but I think. If we want to be fishing for the people you mentioned, Brandon, I know I was just reading about how um, all these bishops were interviewed and they're all very still concerned about where are the young people. It was a it was a neat article. I on saw that. Yeah. Um, 
And if we want to reach some people, you said it, Brandon, they are there on social media. And you're right. It is, it is a lifeline and a blessing. I keep thinking of like a life raft uh, you can throw off of a boat. When before in church history have you been able to reach them that quickly? But we have to talk in a way that they want to hear. We have to talk about things they want to talk about to bring them back. We got to stretch ourselves and, and get a little vulnerable, like Dan said. Yeah. And I think the way Dan did it on Instagram, you know, making little videos and putting yourself out there to say, hey, if you've got any questions or objections to God, religion, the Catholic Church, I'd love to hear them. You know, tell me the biggest reason you don't believe in God. Tell me the worst thing about religion or the worst thing about the church. And let's start a conversation. You know, that's that was the premise behind when Bishop Barron has done a couple of these AMAs on Reddit, Ask Me Anything. He basically shows up at his at his keyboard and says, I'm a Catholic bishop. I love talking with atheists. Ask me anything. And man, oh man, were those popular. We got tens of thousands of comments like within the first couple hours. And I, I think the first one ended up being something like the third most popular AMA of the year on Reddit. Yeah. It was like Bill Gates, uh, Jordan Peterson, Bishop Barron. So it was, it was shocking to us that even though, you know, Bishop Barron's a big name in the Catholic world, he's not, you know, an A-list celebrity like some of these other figures. But the reason he was so high is because there's so many people online with questions and longings about religion that have nowhere else to go. Again, these are not people that are going to immediately come to our parishes or come to a Bible study, but they need some way to to dialogue about religion and God and, and faith, and the internet allows that. So I, I like these types of strategies where we put ourselves out there and say, let's hear it. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me your objections. Tell me your challenges. Let's open up a conversation. Right. And it's not like we even have to guess at where they are. They're in a group that's titled like atheist agnostic, you know, non-believers. <laughs> right. like, there's no guesswork here. Like people identify. So... Um, well, let's let's pivot a little bit and talk about your new book and Claritas because they're really connected. Um, so I read the first book probably right around a year ago and loved it. And I thought some of the your explanations in there, especially on the problem of evil. And it's not like that's a new thing, but just the way you worded it was, in my opinion, the the most clear and helpful to me of anything I'd come across. And like I love C.S. Lewis. I love all of our saints who've written about this. Your wording just connected with me in a really, wow. really powerful way. So I'm gonna thank need you. that in write. I'm gonna need that in writing better than C.S. Lewis. <laughs> you got it. Um, so when I I didn't realize that there was even gonna be a second volume though. So um, how did that how did that kind of grow and and how did that come about? Like why did you go from from one book to two and how did you decide what was gonna be like? What are the most important questions that belong in the first book and then like what made the second cut? Yeah, all good questions. So these two books emerged out of my Claritas U initiative that you mentioned. So Claritas, just the Latin word for clarity. And a few years ago, I started this online platform called Claritas U, so Clarity University. And the goal was to help Catholics to get clear and confident about hot button issues. So things that Catholics hope never will come up in conversation because we get nervous or tongue tied. We feel like we're on our heels. We don't know what to say. Um, I think, you know, these topics will be obvious to most people, things like same sex marriage, abortion, transgenderism, atheism, evil and suffering, contraception, homosexuality, all these that were like, yeah, I might know what the church believes, but, and I, and I believe it, I affirm it, but man, I hope that never comes up with my friends or with my family. Cause I just don't even know where to begin. 
Um, so I set out to create short video courses on each one of these topics. And each video course follows the same pattern, which I stole from Thomas Aquinas. Um, so the pattern is to put forward an objection to the view, um, really, really understand the best form of that objection. People talk about steel manning an objection. So make it as strong and forceful as possible. Then learn how to respond to that objection and then finally get clear on the Catholic view. So those kind of three pillars, the Catholic view, the best objections to the Catholic view, and then how to respond to those objections. If you can get clear about all three of those things, you just won't be nervous. Um, so for example, on the topic of same-sex marriage, I've talked with lots of same-sex marriage proponents online, offline, in-person, digitally, and I'm just not rattled anymore because I, I know everything they're going to throw at me. I know every slogan they're going to use. I know every objection they're going to put forward. I, I could turn them around and strengthen them. I can make them stronger than what the other person says. And so it gives you this, this uh, unwavering confidence that I know how to navigate this conversation. And that's what I want to help Catholics do for all of these topics. So Claritas U was created to do that. And then these two books kind of spun out of Claritas U. We basically took the courses inside Claritas U and uh, condensed them a little bit, manipulated them, add a little more content, and then turned them into book form. So the books are kind of the print form of, of Claritas U. And so the first volume, we looked at seven of the most popular courses at Claritas U. Um, I think there's one on atheism, how to talk with atheists. Um, there's one on uh, same-sex marriage. I, I think abortion was in the first uh, book. And in the second book, which just came out, we look at things like faith and science, um, homosexuality, Islam, relativism, uh, another set of, of uh, topics. And I think we're planning on at least a third, maybe a fourth book, too. Um, so I'm very happy to see them getting out there. I've, I've heard from so many readers of the books and, and participants at Claritas U about you know, uh, how their conversations are so much easier and more fluid. This one guy was telling me, he's like, I was at the bar the other night and was sitting around with a group of my friends and somehow the topic turned to same-sex marriage. Um, and he said, these guys were just, you know, parroting all the same slogans, love is love. And it's all about equality. Why don't you want, why don't you want these people to be married? Why are you trying to persecute them? And he said, uh, I just started using a lot of the strategies and talking points from the course. And he said, it rolled off my tongue like butter. He said, I was sitting back with one arm with a beer in my hand and I was calm and relaxed and I was just presenting the church's position, but in non-religious language. He said, I never felt so just relaxed in a tense situation. He said, they had nothing to say after that. He said, I, I kind of just redirected and reframed the conversation and gave them a lot to think about. And that was like the best sort of response I could receive yeah, from yeah. somebody reading or using these books. So very proud of all this stuff, the what to say and how to say it books and the Claritas U platform. That's great. I mean, I'm envisioning like a classical painting. So hopefully this guy becomes a saint and we can hear the story and kind of let people know. But I'm envisioning like, you know, the, the call of Matthew where Jesus comes in and he's pointing right at Matthew. Yes. But change yes. that to a bar scene where like this guy is kind of <laughs> like he just leaned back with his you know arm on the bar and, and holding a beer in one hand and pointing at his friends in the other. Like, what a great story. Yeah. And what, I mean, what a That's perfect good. place to use it. You know, we're not asking asking him to. He's engaging with his friends and, and sharing the gospel when they've asked him. And that sounds perfect. Yes. It's the, it's the Peter principle. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope what is, that is within you. It doesn't mean all of us all the time need to be aggressively proclaiming our beliefs, but it means, hey, you're in a bar, the topic comes up, you're not, a, you're not fleeing the situation, you're going to be a witness by articulating your beliefs. So that's my goal, is to make every Catholic ready 
to give a reason for the hope that's within them. Yeah, Brandon, I'm a big fan of Claritas. You have really been enjoying being a member and uh, getting into some of the resources. And uh, But your story reminded me, too, of uh, an experience I had with some buddies that grew up Catholic with me, but we, we played golf. And then afterwards, we went, we went to have a beer and some lunch. And then the topic of natural family planning came up. And we're talking, and they're mm-hmm. criticizing the church. And I said, well, and I just kind of explained the church's teaching you know, as a, well, with a personal testimony to it as well. And then after the, at the end, my, my friend goes, you know, man, you should really talk to some of the higher ups in the church and really get your message out. Maybe that'll help. (laughs) 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 I'm just just spewing what the, cause a lot of times I think it's just people don't know why the church teaches what it is. And you're giving tools to just know it well, know it clearly and succinctly. Cause not everyone has time for the whole theology of the body, but just the key points. Cause I love the videos. They're short. They're, they're engaging, um, and you have uh, experts on there if they want to go deeper and other resources. But folks just need clear, concise answers because when they hear truth, truth just rings in our core. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah, I, I feel like most Catholics know what the church teaches, and they affirm it on all these things. They know contraception, bad, shouldn't use it. But that they don't know much beyond that, and that's not going to be persuasive to anybody that, that the reason we shouldn't use contraception is because the church says no. Um, we need to give more persuasive reasons that will persuade people's minds and hearts. And so I, I love that story. And, and I'll, I'll affirm that we need more people like you giving witness and testimony to the beauty of the church's teachings. Yeah, it's something you just said really, uh, really stood out to me for a second that the reason that we don't do things is not because the church says no, like the church never says no, just for the sake of saying no. Mm-hmm. It's she's steering us towards the good life. And it's not that mm-hmm. the, the church is an impediment or that any of our morality is an impediment to our happiness. It is the path to happiness. And I have, I don't think I've ever talked to a couple who practices NFP or like embraces any of the church's teaching, like don't commit murder, who, who then doesn't say afterward, my life is better. My relationships are better because of, of doing this. Mm. Yeah, I think you're totally right. There's a um, there's an old adage, lots of people repeat it, that the church doesn't just say no to something. It says yes to something else. Yeah. Or another way I've heard it put is in regards to things like abortion. The church doesn't say no to uh, an injustice like uh, abortion. It's really saying a no to another no that there's when people you know say no to the dignity of life, we're saying no to that no. I think that there's this popular conception of the church is just this big finger wagging, head shaking no to everything that's fun and delightful in life. And so our challenge, especially in our generation, the three of us, is to help people see, no, no, the church is is not just a big no. It's a big yes to life, to fulfillment. The glory of God is man fully alive. That's what Christ wants for all of us. And that's he he has a path for that, the path that's been wired into our very being. And that's where the church is trying to guide us down to find that right path and avoid these wrong avenues. So when the church says no, it's not just arbitrary and it's not to suck the wind out of your fun and your joy. It's actually to bring you toward the path of, of fun and joy and fulfillment. Amen. Amen. Yeah. No, there's, uh, we were created to, to know and experience God in all his goodness. And we're not waiting for it until we get to heaven for that to happen. We get a foretaste of that now. Well, we probably have time for for one more question, and I want to ask something that'll be, I think, important for Justin and I to hear, and then any any other family people who are listening. So you're busy; you've got a lot going on. Um, you've, you're managing multiple projects. You are you work full time. You write books. You manage these websites. Um, but I know from my interaction with you that 
your your love of God, your love of your wife, and your love of your family are more important than all of those other things, all those accolades. And so uh, could you share a little bit about how you keep the main thing the main thing? Great question. I haven't always been good at this. I, um, whenever I first started writing books and speaking and do that, uh, doing that type of stuff, um, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago, um, for me, the main thing wasn't the main thing. My main thing for all, for all of us who are married should be our spouses and our children. That's our fundamental vocation. But, you know, I was, I was writing books. I was flying around the country, speaking at conferences, and eventually through a lot of prayer and spiritual direction became convinced that I wasn't putting the main thing first and that it, you know you could be the most successful evangelist in the world but if you're a failure in the home you're a failure um so what, what i the shift that happened for me um i, I read this book that remains one of the top three or four most life-changing books you guys might have heard of it it's called essentialism it's by greg mckeown um, essentialism and the basic principle of this is that you should spend most of your life doing things that are essential now he doesn't really tell you how to decide what is essential. His coaching is more that you should figure that out and then double down on those essential things. So he says, for example, every opportunity you have, and he's mostly speaking to, to business professionals, but this would apply to people in the church as well. Every opportunity you have to work on this project, to speak over here, to you know create this website, whatever, ask yourself on a scale of, of one to 10, how essential is this to my vocation? That's my language. That's not what he would say. But how essential is this to my fundamental vocation? And for me, that means a fundamental vocation as a husband and as a father and then as an evangelist in that order. So how essential is it? One to ten. He says, if it's not a nine or a ten, it's a zero. And that's always stuck with me that we spend a lot of our time doing things that are fives, sixes, sevens, eights, you know, that are good things that would really help the church or really help our family that will make our friends happy. Um, but if you spend most of your life doing five, six and sevens, you're going to not have time for nines and tens. Um, so that insight really changed my life because it caused me to purge out of my life. A lot of things that were five, sixes and sevens. So I've stopped speaking. I don't travel anywhere to speak anymore. I don't even do, you know, digital talks or virtual talks. Um, I stopped blogging. So I did like blogging for a while and, and I, I, you know, every now and then I'll write a blog post for word on fire, maybe once a year or something like that. But I realized, look, I could, I could be writing 10 blog posts a month, or I could be using that time to write a book, which is far more enduring, something that's going to last and be read and affect many, many more people than a blog, a blog, you know, at best, you might get a thousand people to read that within the first couple of days, yeah. but a book could be read by thousands of people for a generation. Yeah. So it, the the priority shift for me was was focusing on that question: what's essential, what's enduring, and then making sure my schedule and my priorities are focused on those types of things most. That's great advice. I'm gonna. I think when we get off this podcast, I'm gonna start looking at my life and asking, okay, what's a nine and a ten, and then I'm gonna make yeah. everything else a zero because it is challenging. Everything jumps up and wants your attention, and there's a yeah. lot of fives, and there's probably a lot of threes and fours too. Yeah. The, the, the one caveat I'll add is this has been difficult for me as a Christian. You know, I, I'm not I don't think McKeown is a Christian. And so in his book, he's pretty brutal. You know, the threes and fours cut out of your life. And he means like friends, family, you know, favors oh, wow. people ask you yeah. uh, if someone, you know, a, a common thing in the business world is, hey, can, can we get together? I want to pick your brain. Can I have lunch and pick your brain for an hour? He's like, that's a two for me. That's a three for me. You know, it might be nice, but it's not something that's essential. I don't have time for it. 
So as a Christian, it's been hard for me that the Christian duty is to be Christ to whoever God puts in front of you. And oftentimes that means threes, twos, ones, things that aren't essential to me, but are essential to Christ in the kingdom. Um, so that's been a challenge for you. I'm still working that out. But in most cases, the 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 uh, decision will be easy. In most cases, it'll be easier for you to decide, is this just a good thing, a five, six, or seven, or is this an essential thing, a nine or a 10? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Brandon, I love that you were making those choices with a spiritual director. So I think for our listeners, we're always trying to encourage folks, you know, discern where the Lord is calling you. I think with the new evangelization and media, it, it also requires a lot of time. You know, so if you're called to be out there, you probably want, need to give the time to do it well. So make sure to be viewing those priorities with a good spiritual director, help you see where is the Lord calling you. And of course, our, our primary vocation always comes first. So thanks for being an example of that, Brandon, and uh, your, your words of mm. wisdom. Mm, thank you. Well, Brandon, thank you very much for coming to join us. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun discussing these things with you. And uh, as you go, please count on our prayers for you, for your family, for the great work that you're doing. And uh, hopefully we can have you back on the show, maybe when volume three, four, five, six, any of the one of those comes out. Love it, man. Even before then, I love what you guys are doing and I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you so much. Well, God bless you, brother. Have a good one. You too.